Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. Glad that you're here and hope that over these last few weeks you've been gaining some insight and, and hopefully some support, help, and hope during this Bless This Mess worship series. We've been trying to try to identify the realities of our homes that sometimes with kids and family and growing up, it, it's a little messy, right? And we've talked about uh, discipline and how uh, that's intended to grow people, right? And we've talked about uh, teenagers and how that's complicated in life, right? <laughs> And then today we're going to talk about what we refer to as special or unique circumstances. And uh, we all face unique circumstances, each in our own way, and we want to kind of address that this morning and recognize the powerful ways that God offers us hope and help. I want to start by telling you about a good friend of mine named Charlie. Charlie became my friend around uh, when I was age four or five, and he remained my friend uh, until around 12 or 13 when his family moved out of the area. In fact, his father passed away, and uh, the family needed to relocate, and so they moved literally down to Mexico. And so I never uh, really heard from Charlie again. But in my childhood, he was really my middle brother's friend. If I'm honest, because he and Charlie were the same age, born in 1961, I was really just the tag-along, right? I was the younger brother, and I thought Charlie was my friend, but he was really my big brother's friend. Charlie had an older brother as well, and we didn't uh, play with him quite as much, but what I realized about Charlie, even as a kid and certainly in adulthood, was, man, he loved to have fun. Charlie was a trickster, a cardster. He loved to tell jokes. He loved to give pranks. He loved to just laugh, and he'd have this great belly laugh when he did, and, and we would all just carry on with him. He was also deeply intelligent. I realized this even early on at age six and seven that, man, Charlie could figure stuff out, and he could work things out, and, and I just loved his intellect even as a young person. Uh, so much so was he an intellectual. He became a professor at Stephen F. Austin University in adulthood, served as a tenured professor there uh, for a number of years. He also had two uh, basset hounds that I absolutely loved, and I just played with those all the time until one of them bit me, and then I decided they weren't my friend anymore, right? But Charlie and I and Charlie and my brother just had a great time together, and we celebrated life together, and I learned huge amounts from Charlie just about life and how to conduct oneself and how to uh, be in community, right, one with each other. And I was really deeply saddened when Charlie had to move and his father died. It was a hard time for his family and certainly for our family because both families were quite close. What I also want to share about Charlie uh, that's relevant to our message today is that Charlie's mom had taken some pills when she was pregnant with him called thalilamide. You might know that drug. Thalilamide uh, was a drug that didn't last very long on the market because they discovered atrociously uh, early that while women would take this either for morning sickness or for anxiety or sometimes for stress, that it caused massive deformity in human bodies. And Charlie happened to be one of these babies when he was born in 1961. And so what I discovered about Charlie early on was he looked different and he acted different. He had no hands of any kind. Uh, his left arm stopped at his elbow and his right arm stopped about halfway past his elbow. Uh, his feet were awkwardly misshaped and they had extra toes. He, um, uh, his uh, jawbone was misshapen so he couldn't speak very well. He kind of um, had trouble speaking his words. And so I discovered early on that Charlie looked different. But what I also discovered early on about Charlie was he was no different than me. And he was no different than any of my other friends. Uh, he loved to have a good time. He loved a good intellectual challenge. He loved to interact with other people. He did well in school. He accomplished great things. He did everything that any other kid would have wanted to do. 
And so in hindsight, I'm deeply grateful for a, a boy and a young teenager named Charlie in my life who early on helped me to discover that while people are different, sometimes they're often just like us. And I'm grateful that my faith began to germinate uh, in such a way in adolescence and certainly into adulthood that I could reflect on Charlie's circumstances and remember that each one of us is simply unique and different, that each one of us has our own personal challenges, and that each one of us has a unique set of circumstances all our own, right? And so part of what I learned early in childhood and certainly into adolescence and early adulthood was that all of us are just distinctive. And today we want to talk about these, uh, these unique distinctions because each one of us is different with regard to them, but some of us feel as though ours is, is uh, just the worst and ours is unspeakable or ours is um, somehow so different that I don't ever want to address it or deal with it, right? Part of what Charlie taught me and what I learned in youth and uh, adulthood was that God wants us to see what God sees in other people. That's the challenge that God sets before us every single day, that we want to see what God sees in and through us. And sometimes we see right through people, don't we? And we see whatever is their unique disability or their unique distinctiveness, and we, we just kind of walk and look right through them. But Charlie helped me learn early on that that wasn't helpful. And he helped me to discover that we're really all more alike than we would uh, own. So during this Bless This Mess uh, worship series, we want to talk about these unique circumstances. Uh, we use the turtle title uh, Unique Circumstances simply because it's very difficult to name everything one thing. And so we just said, let's talk about unique circumstances. And what we mean by unique circumstances is that we want to uh, identify sort of the general ways in which disabilities can be identified. When we talk about physical disabilities, Charlie certainly had physical disabilities, but that might also be uh, blindness. It might be a lack of hearing. It might be a muscular dystrophy. It might be cerebral palsy. It might be any number of things that physically causes someone to not function in the, what some would call typical fashion, right? Then we talk about emotional or psychological disabilities as well. And a part of what we recognize there is that's everything from anxiety or depression to OCD to um, oppositional, dis, uh, dis, um, op what's it called? Oppositional Thank you, oppositional defiance, uh, and, and things like that, right? Bipolar. These are all kinds of uh, disabilities that can affect how we interact with people. And then we also talk about um, intellectual or learning disabilities. That's everything from ADD to ADHD to um, uh, any number of things on that scale or the autism uh, spectrum, right? any of those. And so when we talk about unique circumstances, we're addressing all of those things here today and identifying that there's a myriad more as well that we can't call by name, but is a part of these unique circumstances that we might all face. And a part of our goal is to identify that they're real, number one. And then number two, to identify that we want to um, advocate for and, and bring some kind of awareness to these circumstances but also that we want to help parents know you're not alone. In fact, there's quite a few of us. Most of us in this room who have children have faced some form of these disabilities that we will call unique circumstances. For each one of us, they are different, but they impact us in very real and tangible ways. And our goal is to simply 
see our children and see people in community, see people as God sees them, right? And our goal ultimately really is to provide help and hope. If we provide help and hope, then we offer the realization that God is with us and God is for us and God can help us through this and give us just a little bit of hope about how to face the future. And I think about uh, Psalm 121. It's one of my favorite psalms. You may know it, uh, but it starts off quite simply. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where can my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. That same God is with you who are facing unique circumstances. That same God who made heaven and earth, who set all things into motion, who, who made all things and helps us through all circumstances. That God, that God's with you, mom and dad. That God is helping you, even as we speak, mom and dad, through your unique circumstances. And I want to call your attention to this wonderful God of all creation who is with us and for us throughout these unique circumstances. So not only did the Old Testament speak into the way in which God can offer help and hope, but the New Testament does as well. And the Apostle Paul offers us some great wisdom that when we first hear it may sound a little strange, but I believe it has great insight for us about how we can uh, address the ways in which God can help us through our unique circumstances. It's one of Paul's letters to a church. That's pretty much all we get in the New Testament from Paul is, right, letters to community of faith. He's writing to the church at Corinth. It is a fascinating church. It sits on an isthmus uh, in the Mediterranean, and uh, so much so it had traffic in boats from all known countries. And it was such a small piece of land, they would often move the boat. It, it, it predated the canals, right? They would move boats across logs in, across such a short a period of uh, land that it could get to the other ocean, right? And a part of what that created was people from all over the then known world who were coming into faith and trying to figure out how do I live this faith and what does it mean to follow Jesus and how can I do this? And Paul is, in all cases, of course, is giving great wisdom and insight. And so when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's trying to help them see what is it that we hold in common in Christ, barring all other differences, all other cultural diversity, all other things that might separate us, what is it that holds us and binds us together? And what he says is quite fascinating. Beginning in the very first chapter, in the 18th verse, he says this, and I want you to listen closely because it, it, Paul is a master at words. And sometimes what that means is he's hard to understand. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this once we're done. But he starts off this way. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now, you may think to yourself, what in the world, Humbert? What, I mean, what are you thinking? And I just want to say, Paul is setting up a profound way for us to understand 
the gift of God's mercy, grace, and love. And to the world, it will sound foolish. To the world, it will sound weak. To those of us who are followers of Jesus, we begin to understand the power of his teachings and the wonder of his grace and his mercy and his love. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, the one to which Paul is writing, wisdom, intellect, status, that was the end-all, be-all. If you were smart and wise and you had some form of status in the world, that's where your power came from and that's what people cherished, that's what people were looking for, that's what people valued. And Paul is trying to say to them, in faith, that's not the most valuable thing. Sure, is it good to be smart? Absolutely. Is it good to have a place in society? Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when we value those things above all else, we begin to recognize that God has called into reality other forms of values that to the world seem foolish, weak. Humility, for instance, was a prime teaching of Jesus. But in the Greco-Roman world, to be humble was absolutely the lowest thing one could do. But Paul is addressing the fact that Christ has created a new way and is offering a new understanding of what is valuable in the world. And so he begins to eradicate or erode, if you will, those things that are of uh, the world. And he wants to call us to a greater faithfulness and that we'll have different values, values of humility and love, peace and reconciliation, justice and mercy. And in the world to which Paul is writing, that seems deeply foolish. Paul would continue to write to this church at Corinth a number of times. We have two recorded uh, letters, but uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would just say, look, we live by faith, not by sight. And so in, a, in, the, in the world of the values of intellect and wisdom and, and prosperity and status, you can see that from a mile away, either where people live or what clothes they wear or how they carry themselves or how they answer questions or how wise their decisions are. You can see that a mile away, but Paul is admitting to us that we don't walk by sight if we follow Jesus. We walk by faith, and that faith calls us to a different standard. What God is doing, Paul said, is God is disrupting the values of power and status and intellect. He's disrupting it, and he's calling into being the values of love and mercy and justice and peace, and most profoundly, the gift of love. And this gift of love that Paul is referencing then will write about a, a myriad of times, right? Not the least of which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we literally refer to as the love chapter, right? The very last verse of which says to us, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, to the world, love is not a high value. Pride and status and power and wisdom and intellect are all high values in the Greco-Roman world. Almost sounds like today, doesn't it? Whereas love, which is what Jesus brought into the world, which uh, takes people as they are and by the love of God, accepts them just as they are and helps them to know that they are beautiful creations of God made in the image of God, no matter what the world says about them, oh, they can't figure that out, or they have too many problems, or they're just physically inept, or they are special, right? 
and we begin to demean or lower or devalue those who aren't quote-unquote normal or standard or valuable. And it begins to hit at us, doesn't it? And as people who follow Jesus, we begin to realize we can't look at people that way. We can't say just because somebody doesn't have my capacity or my circumstance or everything that I have access to or abilities for is less than, that's the very point Paul is addressing. He's trying to help us realize that we need to see what God sees. And here's the way God did it. It's there in your notes. God provided a unique circumstance in and through Jesus so that we could face our unique circumstance. I want you to hear that again. God created a unique set of circumstances in and through Jesus so that we could face our unique circumstances. Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet He came into Jerusalem on a donkey. <laughs> he was King and King of Lord and lords, and yet He hung on a cross and suffered and died. He was King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet His crown was a crown of thorns, not a crown of jewels and gold. He was a different way. He brought a different way, and He compels us to live in a different way in the world each and every day, compelling us to do what Paul is addressing, compelling us to see what God sees in others. And what God sees is the image of God. No matter who the person is, no matter their disability, no matter their capacity, no matter their uh, whatever, God sees in them a child of God. That's what the song, the choir just sang. God sees in them the very image of God, and what Paul is calling us to is to not only say the same thing, but to do the same thing, to see in others what God sees, so that if my child has a unique set of circumstances, I'm not going to so much look at the circumstances or bemoan the fact that I have to face this, but rather I'm going to acknowledge that my child is a child of God, that my child is beloved by God, that my child was made in the image of God. And we ought to do the same. It feels foolish to the world. It seems weak to the world. But it's God's wisdom and it's God's strength at its very best. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when my kid has got a special circumstance. It's hard when I have to face day in and day out the unique circumstances that create what we're facing, right? I get it. Kay and I have been there. Our two kids had special circumstances, and we had to trudge through that and try to figure that out and try to move forward and try to recognize that God is in these things and that God can help. And so God sees you in your unique circumstance. God holds you in your unique circumstance, and God wants the very best for you in and through these circumstances. God knows that you and your child are God's child, and God wants the very best for you. So I want to offer a couple of tidbits of wisdom, I hope, that might help 
Some of our parents in the room recognize that no matter what that circumstance is, whether it's uh, physical or emotional or intellectual or psychological, whatever it may be, God's there for you and with you, and God wants to help. And so, parents, I just offer these, these three insights. One is um, always, always provide for your child. Now, I, what I don't mean is do everything for your kid and solve all their problems and get it all out of the way. But what I do mean when I talk about providing for your child is learn early on that there may be a difficulty, whether it's uh, from infancy or young childhood or toddlerhood, or whether it's in the 10th grade, or perhaps even into adulthood. Provide for your child. Help them and you discover what is this issue? How can we address it? What will we do? The earlier, the better. Rather than uh, bemoaning its reality or worse, turning one's back and putting one's head in the sand or denying that this is real, the best way forward is first acknowledge that it's true, recognize that there are possibilities, and then move towards those possibilities. Whether it's educationally or medically or psychologically, whatever it is, find the resources and offer the care for our children. The good news is we live in a region and in a particular part of the state that offers some amazing resources for your child. You may already know this, but the Louisville Independent School District in which we reside is among the Texas's best school district for special education, which addresses these needs. And the SPED group of people, my wife being one of them, can offer your child help, can offer you tools and resources and opportunities and ways forward utilize the resources of the local school district. You don't actually even have to be in the public schools for to, to receive that resource. What a gift that is. You know, we also likewise here have Butterfly Ministry, which is, we refer to it as special needs ministry, but it's for those who have unique circumstances. They often worship with us in the 930 right back there, and they sing, and then they go off, and they learn, and they grow, and they have fun, and they develop, and they understand relationships one to another. And it's a gift that we want to offer to families who may have special and unique circumstances. You know, we also have partnered for a number of years here at Treach with uh, Special Abilities of North Texas. They literally are right over on 407. They offer uh, all kinds of learning, developmental need uh, programs for those who have unique circumstances. And they do phenomenal work. If you haven't heard of them and you'd like to know more, just simply Google Special Abilities of North Texas. Now, in our app that you have with your phone, uh, in the app, we have a, a, a PDF of some phenomenal resources, about four or five pages, has some national and local uh, resources listed on it. Uh, you will find it in the digital bulletin or in the huddle guide uh, on the app. So if you have the app, uh, go to digital bulletin, and it'll be literally listed in the, it'll be at the sermon. You just click on the, the resource. In the, in the uh, huddle guide, it'll be near the bottom, and it'll reference uh, the PDF. All kinds of resources of, for educational purposes for you to learn more and discover what it is you can do to help provide for your child, no matter how young or how old. The second thing, parents, I want to call your attention to is um, always care for yourself. You know, there's a reason they say on the uh, plane, put on your mask before you put it on anybody else, right? One of the things that we tend to forget as parents is we are human <laughs> and we need help and we need to care for ourselves. 
You will never be able to be with your child forever and help them grow into full adulthood and into the fully productive citizen that you desire them to be unless you also take care of yourself. So know that you need respite care. Our butterfly ministry on a a pretty consistent basis offers respite care for all of the participants, for people in the community as well who aren't even in our butterfly ministry. Man, find ways to find respite. Ask people to help. Seek out conversations with people in similar, unique circumstances so that you can be a resource for each other. I just discovered that uh, some groups in our church uh, periodically get together and they, they talk through their unique circumstances and help one another out and um, care for one another and encourage one another and offer resources. Know that God wants to help you and God has got people in your lives or in this church who can help you seek that help. Finally, I would simply say, accept God's grace. And sometimes it is so hard to be on the receiving end, right? You're always taking care of your kid. You're always providing for your child. You're always helping them out. You're always going and doing. But know that it's all right to receive help, that it's all right to trust in the power of God, to recognize that God's comfort and guidance is there for you on an ongoing basis. This is the love and mercy and grace that God wants for you, that I know you need and that I understand can help. You know, I love the prophet Isaiah. He's so powerful and profound in the many ways that he shares. But in uh, Isaiah chapter 12, he says this, God is the one who saves us. I will trust in him and not be afraid. I want to invite you, moms and dads, to trust Trust that God is there. Trust that God will help. And trust that God may provide that help through people in your life. Because when we do, we become stronger and we rely on the foolishness and the weakness of the power and wisdom of God. It is what God dreams for you and what God is yearning to help you with. You know, it's funny. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he has a strange way of identifying what it is we can rely on, right? It's the power and the wisdom and the love of God. And if you've ever experienced it, as I know many of you have, you know how transformative it can be in how we relate to others and how it helps us face each new day and how it will help us face these unique circumstances, whatever they may be in your life. I'm grateful in my own that I discovered a guy named Charlie who helped me to see the way God sees and helped me to realize that people really just are people, no matter what they look like or how they act or what they may or may not be able to do, because you see, God created each one of them. And the power of God's good news is that it becomes real in how we live it out. Listen to what Paul ultimately said as he finished this statement about the foolishness of God. In verse 28, Paul says, finally, God chose what the world thinks is unimportant and what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing in order to bring to nothing what the world thinks is important. 
What the world thinks is important is status and intellect and bravado. What God knows is important is love and mercy and justice. Let's see the way God sees. Let's look upon all of God's children as those very things. And let's choose to recognize that God will be with us through it all so that we can indeed find the greatest of potential for our children and for others. Thanks be to God, we have a God who loves us that much. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, for the powerful ways in which he touched the lives of those who had been abandoned or looked over or passed by. We're grateful, God, for the wisdom of Paul who helps us identify the very values you know we ought to live out and that by that, we find strength and hope and love. God, help each of us as we face our own unique circumstances with our children, whether they be literal children or they be adults. Help us to know that you've created them in your image and that you want us to love them just the way you first loved us. God, call us to that great courage that we might use our circumstances to help others, to help them know that God loves them too. God, for all of this, we give you grateful thanks, and we lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.